Righto, today we're up to the, the end of the book of Revelation. And um, some of you will go, yay! And some of you go, oh, I've really enjoyed this. Um, this, this last chapter um, is, I guess, John's version of something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, does everybody here know the story of the wise man and the foolish man? So the wise man built his house on the... On the rock, foolish man built his house on the sand. A lot of foolish people in St George. Um, but it's interesting, though, with modern building techniques, actually sand, sand is one of your best foundations you've got. But, but let's just not, not concentrate on that. But so the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand. Now, does anyone remember what, that, what Jesus told that story in relation to? Does anyone remember? It came. Sorry? Building your faith on the solid foundation. That's what most of us remember from Sunday school. Um, but actually, Jesus said this right at the end of when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So, the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us so much instruction. Like, it is just an amazing sermon. And we actually read it here um, a couple of months ago. But right at the end of that, Jesus said, those who hear these words and don't put them into action are like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And those who hear these words and do put them into action is like the wise man. And so if we hear the word of God and we don't put it into action, then we're like the foolish man. If we hear the word of God and we do put it into action, then we're like the wise man. And what we're about to read today in Revelation says pretty much exactly that about what we've just heard in the book of Revelation. So Ben's going to read it for us now, and then we'll talk about it. Thanks, Ben. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river were the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign in forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy." Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord will be with all. Amen. Behold, I am coming soon. What are we to make of the book of Revelation? We've just finished reading it. We've spent the last eight months studying it. But what do we do with it now? Uh, how we view the book of Revelation and whether we treat it as a, bit of, as a bit of interesting Bible knowledge or trivia to tuck away in our memory bank, or whether it just picks our interests and sharpens our intellectual study of the Bible, or whether it's something that we just dismiss because... Uh, it's just all way too hard and way too complicated, or whether it becomes something that actually transforms and shapes our lives very much depends on whether we truly believe that Jesus really is coming soon. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus is coming soon? John believed it. Uh, but that was nearly 2,000 years ago. Was John wrong? No, John wasn't wrong. A, a lifetime might seem like a very long time for a human being. For goodness sake, an hour seems like a long time when you're trying to upload something to the internet. T two minutes seems like a long time when you're waiting for your dinner to heat up in the microwave. Ten seconds sounds like a long time when it's an awkward pause in the middle of the sermon. We can be very impatient creatures, uh, but when it comes to the return of Jesus, it's not that far away. It, it wasn't that far away for John, and it's not that far away for us. You see, the point is, Jesus' return is always best to be considered as being imminent or my death might be imminent, or your death might be imminent for that matter. I don't want to sound all doom and gloom here, but cemeteries are full of people who fully expected that they were going to have another day or another year or another decade. Jesus told a lot of parables, eh? And a number of these parables were ones that he told about how he would be a long time coming. And because he was a long time coming there would be some who would cease to be vigilant. They would cease to be ready for when he did return. And so they were caught out, weren't they? 
Uh, the bridesmaids ran out of oil in their lamps. The owner of the house fell asleep and his house was broken into. The servant got drunk and started mistreating the other servants and wasn't he in trouble when the master of the house returned. These are all parables that Jesus told to warn us to be ready, to warn us to continue on being faithful and to continue on being righteous because Jesus is coming soon but he would be a long time coming. See, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we live in the full expectation that it could very well be this day. It could very well be this hour that Jesus returns because he is coming soon. And because Jesus is coming soon, of this book of Revelation, this is what he says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What does it mean to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? Well, I reckon it means three things. Firstly, it means don't throw the book of Revelation out. Keep it. Study it. Digest it. We were told right at the beginning that we would be blessed by reading it and we'd be, we'd be blessed by hearing it. But hearing it counts for nothing unless we keep it. And so now we're being told to, to keep it. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Secondly, to keep the words of this prophecy means to let the Holy Spirit convict us and change us and transform us and strengthen us and renew us as we hold on to its promises and as we respond to its challenges. And there are challenges here. There are challenges to overcome, to overcome sin, to overcome idolatry, to overcome lovelessness, to overcome the temptation to lose heart and to stop following Jesus. And then thirdly, to keep the words of this prophecy means to be a witness to Jesus. And if Jesus is coming soon, why wouldn't we be a witness for him? Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, I'll be ashamed of him when I come. Keeping the words of the book of this prophecy is what a servant of God does. Do we have any servants of God here today? Have we got any, any servants? Oh, good. A good number of you. I was wondering, what was I going to say if nobody puts up their hands? I'm going, oh, I'm going to have to try and convince them. So you know your servants of God? Yeah, good, good. When the angel said all these words to John, John fell down and wanted to worship this angel, but the angel wouldn't have a bar of it. He said to John, I'm just a fellow servant with you. You see, the angels are servants. The apostles are servants. John was an apostle. The prophets are servants, and those who keep the words of this book are all fellow servants of God. So you're getting this? If we stay true to Jesus in the way that this book is outlined, we're on a par with the angels. We're on a par with the prophets. We're on a par with the apostles. Faith is the great leveller. Now, I don't want you telling yourself ever that you're not good enough. 
Because Jesus Christ has called you. Jesus Christ has chosen you. Jesus Christ has given faith to you. And while you continue faithfully following Jesus, you have a very high status, a very high calling of being a servant of God. This is something which is very important for us, to be a servant of God. So we know it's wrong to worship angels. It is wrong to pray to angels. It is wrong to elevate any man or any woman of God to become some kind of hero to be worshipped. We live in the era of celebrity worship. People of the world do it. You just got to see that news items and magazine items that we just worship celebrities. But Christians can be just as bad. We almost worship celebrity Christians. Oh, I know so-and-so. He's a great preacher. And yes, we know him. And and, and Christian singers, whatever. We live in an era where we worship celebrities. We should never do this. Worship is to be reserved for God and for God alone. We're all fellow servants. So, What does this angel tell us to do with this book of Revelation? Well, he tells us what not to do with it. He said, don't seal it up. The time is near. We need these words. Um, Some of you have told me how much you really have appreciated these studies in the book of Revelation. Uh, I've had more people express their appreciation for this series than any series that we've ever done ever before. Uh, And if you're someone who's found this series really helpful, well, give God the glory. Uh, It's not because I'm clever that the words of God come alive. That's what the word of God does. And we should expect this. Every time we read and study God's word, we should expect that it's going to come alive to us. And any part that, that I might play in this is just as a simple servant, as you are a servant as a tool in God's hands. It's the Holy Spirit who has been touching your heart, not my words. But while some have really appreciated this series, others, not so much. Um, Some people have really dropped off coming to church because they don't want to have to try and grapple with this book of Revelation. Uh, To them, it's been fenced off as a no-go zone. And... But that's exactly what we're told not to do. We're told, don't seal it up. The time is near, you see. We need these words. We need to keep these words. Ah, how the Christian church today needs to hear these words and needs to be reminded of these words, the words of Jesus himself to encourage us through all of the hardships that we are yet to face. So don't seal it up. But even though we have this prophecy, and even as the day of Jesus' coming approaches, and even as the events of this prophecy unfold, don't be surprised that most of the world will continue on as they are and take no notice of it. Verse 11 says, Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, I don't know if you notice this or not, but this is not merely a statement of fact. It's not simply an analysis of the way things are. 
It's a statement of intent. It's a statement of God's intent. And you might find this a little bit troubling, but it is God's intent that the evildoer will still do evil. And that the filthy will still be filthy. Surely, surely God wants something different to that. Surely God wants us to be transformed and changed. And surely he wants that for everybody, doesn't he? We talked about this back in chapter 9. When man hardens his heart against God, God hardens it even more. Back in chapter 9, even when the obvious judgment of God was being poured out on the world and it was obvious that this was God's judgment, God was judging the evil of humanity, even through all of that, people still refused to repent. They would curse God. They knew that it was God doing it, but they refused to repent. And that's God's intent. When we reject God, we've made our choice and he hands us over to sin. Just like when Pharaoh rejected Moses and rejected God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart even more. So that no matter what happened, no matter how much the obvious judgment of God was getting poured out on Pharaoh and on Egypt, he would never let the people go. You know, when some people argue against the whole concept of grace, and, and you know what grace is, don't you? Undeserved forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, which we just don't deserve. Sometimes their greatest barrier to faith may be expressed as something like this. Are you telling me that if Adolf Hitler had, had asked for forgiveness... And that if he yield to Jesus Christ as his Lord, that, that he would be forgiven. If he became a Christian before he died, would God have forgiven him and taken him to heaven? Of course, the, the answer to that is yes. Uh, the grace of God is big enough to forgive Adolf Hitler, should he repent and yield to Jesus as his Lord. Yes. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to wash even his horrendous sins away if he repented of his sins and bowed before Jesus as his Lord. But it's a moot point because he didn't. Hitler rejected God and he embraced evil and God handed him over to his sin of demonic proportions. His heart was hardened against God and God handed him over to sin. This is what the sort of stuff we're reading about in verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. Don't be surprised when people don't repent and when most people don't turn their hearts towards God. Rejoice that God will be glorified in the destruction of the wicked, just as God will be glorified in the salvation of the righteous. And so God's intent is that those who reject him will continue to follow the evil of their heart until the day of judgment. 
So that gives a pretty important thing here. It, it's pretty important that we don't reject God. But I want you to notice also God's intent for the righteous. For the righteous, it's a matter of being and doing. It's a matter of believing in Jesus and doing righteous acts. It says, let the holy still be holy. Right? We know we're only holy because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I, I don't want you to confuse this with any kind of idea of being saved by our works. None of us can be saved by doing good works. None of us can make ourselves holy. It's just impossible because we are forgiven of our sins a true disciple of Jesus will then do good works. They will live a life of righteousness. Let me underline two words up there. Do and be. You got another slide there? If your faith is all do, do, do. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and I've got to do this good deed, and I'd better not do that bad thing, and I'd better not do that bad thing. If your faith is all do, then you're acting as if you're saved by works. But if your faith is all be and no do, then you've swallowed the whole easy believism thing. It's a modern heresy that says, you don't have to do any good works. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and you have an irrevocable ticket to heaven. That, my friends, is a lie of the devil. Being a disciple of Jesus is about being and doing. You are holy because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has washed you and Jesus has made you holy. But because you are holy, what you will do is live righteously. Be holy, do righteousness. And so even right here in the very closing words of the Bible, we're being told yet again that the holy will do righteousness. How we live matters. What I do and how I treat others matters. Which is why it then says when Jesus comes, he'll bring with him recompense. Recompense, that means reward, wages. He will repay each one for what he has done. The evil are going to get their just desserts and so will the righteous. You know what that means? Our salvation is demonstrated by our good works. If good works are missing from my life, then that means there's something not complete about my salvation. It's a heart problem, you see. When someone loves Jesus, they'll love others. When someone has been blessed with the gift of grace and salvation, they'll demonstrate that same grace and love and forgiveness to others. And if love and grace and forgiveness are not evident in my life, then I've got a heart problem. And there's something not complete about my salvation. Do you ever feel that your Christian life isn't all that it should be? Getting a few nods. You hear about holiness and you realise... Actually, I'm not that holy. You hear about love and you realise, 
according to that definition of love, I'm really not a loving person. You hear the preacher talk about this thing called sanctification because we like big words. But then he explains that sanctification is about how God changes us. And he changes us to make us more like what he is. But then you find yourself thinking, well, he might be changing other people, but I don't think he's been changing me that much. Do you ever feel like that? I sometimes feel like that. Do you know what the missing ingredient is? It's repentance. I mentioned a false teaching which is becoming pretty common in the Christian church of today, sometimes called easy believism. And a common teaching of easy believism is that you only ever have to repent once. And that repentance is just a change of your mind about who Jesus is. And so you just have to change your mind about that and believe that Jesus died to save you of your sins and you'll be saved forever. Now that's what it teaches, but the fact of the matter is repentance is a daily action. For me, it's a multiple times a day thing. Yeah, I just need to keep repenting and repenting because God keeps revealing to me sins that are in my life and I know I just need to repent of these things because without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. This is an image of repentance. And some people might say, oh, well, yes, well, that's the one-off repentance that we have, you know, where we change our minds about who Jesus is. But back in chapter 3, it tells us what this washing our robes is all about. Back in chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a church in Sardis. Now, what's a church? We've said this enough times. Is a church an organisation? No, a church is a fellowship of believers, right? So it's a bunch of Christians together. And Jesus is talking to this church in Sardis, and he says there that there are some here who have soiled their garments. They had a reputation for being alive, but in Jesus' eyes, they were dead. Why were they dead? Their works weren't complete. In other words, they were doing the wrong thing or they weren't doing the right thing. They had soiled their garments. And for them, their whole church existence was all about appearances. It appeared as if they were alive. They were an alive church. They were a vibrant church. They were the church that everybody else wanted to be. But Jesus said, you're not alive. You're dead. Because their works were not right. How were they to get right with Jesus again? What did Jesus say to them? He said, repent. And if they repented, then once again they'd be clothed in white. Only those who repent and wash their robes have the right to the tree of life. Others will be excluded. Verse 15 gives us a few examples. It says, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There is no place for duplicity in the kingdom of God. Duplicity 
is where you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but your actions are not at all the actions of somebody who is following Jesus. They're very unchristlike. And the list here that it gives isn't a complete list. Um, there's just a few examples. And it starts out with the dogs. Um, now, dogs, some of us love our dogs, um, but the image of dogs in biblical literature is dirty animals, okay? So the dogs is just a euphemism for, for dirty things. Uh, sorcerers. Uh, think of those who continue to dabble in the occult, whether it be spiritualism or contacting the dead or astrology or new age practices or yoga or tai chi, they'll be excluded. Then there's those who are sexually immoral. The, the scriptures are pretty clear. God's plan for sexual activity is a marriage between a man and a woman, and that's it. Everything else falls under the description of sexual immorality. And those who don't repent of their sexual immorality will be excluded. Murderers will be excluded. But remember, Jesus told us that even hatred in our heart reveals a murderous heart. Idolaters will be excluded. An idol is anything that we set above God. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood will be excluded. False teachers, false prophets... But anyone who is false, people who like to claim false tax returns, claim things off the business that are really for personal use, that's falseness. Um, pretending to sort of be someone we're not, that's falseness. And anyone who is false will be excluded. When Jesus returns, there will be nothing false about his kingdom. So, how do we respond to this? Those who wash their robes will be saved. Right, so those who repent will be saved. Those who continue in their sin will be excluded. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to repent of our sin and get right with God. Is that where it ends, though? Right, so if we need to repent and get right with God, is that where it ends? No, that's not where it ends. We've then got to care about others. We invite. Come. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit and the church, right? The bride of Christ is the church. The Holy Spirit and the church are always inviting. Come. Come to Jesus. That The gospel isn't a blessing that we want to keep for ourselves. It's not something we want to hide away so no one can see it. It's something we want to invite everyone. Come. We need to share this with the world. And then it says, and let the one who hears say, come. You know, you don't have to be a Christian for 30 years and graduate from Bible college uh, before you're qualified to invite people to Jesus. In fact, most often, and from what I've observed, most often the very best evangelists are brand new Christians. It says here, let the hear, those who hear say, come. 
You've heard the invitation. You must have heard the invitation because you've responded to the invitation and you've given your heart to Jesus. Now, if you've heard the invitation, was it a simple invitation? Can't you now share that invitation? You know what you responded to. You responded to the fact that I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. So now we need to invite others to Jesus. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The good news of the gospel is that the deepest needs of every sinner, the deepest needs of everyone who is lost, the deepest needs of the lonely and the destitute and the hurting, the deepest needs of those who we would think are even past it, their deepest needs will be met with Jesus. But only if they thirst for it. Only if we thirst for it will our deepest needs be met. And only if we come with a humble and broken and contrite heart. And the grace of God is free. There's, there's no price to be paid. Jesus has paid it up already. It's paid in full. Jesus nailed to the cross. So that's pretty much the book of Revelation. It now ends with a warning, a promise, and a blessing. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, that's a warning against false teaching. It's a warning against false teachers and false prophets. Um, such people, some people just love to read the Bible with a pair of scissors in their hand. Right? They'll just cut out anything that, that, that they don't like. Now, some of this book of Revelation is really tough to understand. And sometimes through this series, I've had to say to you, look, I actually don't know what this means. But that doesn't mean that we should ever cut it out. That doesn't mean we should cut out the bits that we don't understand. Nor does it mean that we should add something else to it so that we can then find it easier to understand. So that's the warning. Next comes the promise. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus is coming soon. Is anybody at all excited about that? Yes? Good. Good. Well, well, give me an amen, come Lord Jesus. Is anybody excited that Jesus is coming soon? Amen, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. And then finally, the blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. 
The book of Revelation was originally written to be sent on a circuit to seven churches in what is now known as Turkey. One commentary I read summed up the goal of the book like this. It says, the goal of the book is that God's true people would obey its revelation and be blessed with salvation. That's a simple goal. And I think that summed it up pretty well. That's why I was quoting it now. That God's true people, because there's a lot of people who cling to the church and may even profess to being Christians, but when the, when the rubber hits the road, they just give up on Jesus pretty quick. It's written that God's true people would obey its revelation and be blessed with salvation. And my prayer is that that goal of the book has hit its mark with us, that has hit its mark with you, and that has hit its mark with me, that we would keep this revelation, that we would obey it, and that we would be blessed with salvation. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Lord, we do not know the day, we do not know the hour. But Lord, help us to be ready for the day when he comes. Help us to be a people who are ready by keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. Lord, there's a lot of challenges in there. Challenges for us to continue on believing. Challenges there for us to continue on in righteousness. Challenges for us to stand strong even when, even when Satan unleashes all of his fury on your church. Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand strong. Lord, we pray for the areas of the church that are already in parts of the world today coming under such fury. Lord, we ask that you would help them to keep the words of this book, help them to stand strong. And Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts. And Lord, that you would prepare us to be a people who have a character like yours, to be a people of actions like yours, to be a people who love as you love, and a people who do right as you do right. Keep us, Lord Jesus, and we pray, come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the day of your coming in Jesus' name. Amen.